0: Jay's. Good having Pastor Jay out here. He leads our missional efforts, and uh, we're so grateful for, what, for what's happening both locally and then globally, and uh, I know we've got a young adult team planning to, to go overseas and, and much on the horizon uh, for our, our world of outreach, and that's for all of us. We're all in, 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 on a mission to help other people move one step closer to God and each other through Christ wherever uh, we are at. It's good to celebrate this first weekend of Advent with you. Thanks to the Benton family for lighting the candle over there, the hope candle. And uh, depending on your background or your church tradition, maybe you grew up celebrating Advent. It was a regular, maybe you got an Advent calendar. Maybe you've got an Advent wreath. Maybe you've got the Advent calendar uh, uh, candles on your own table. Uh, maybe you grew up and what's Advent? Like that's never been a part of your history In reality, the word Advent simply is the word arrival. And for the Israelite nation that was long ago longing for the birth of a Savior, a Messiah that had been promised, and year after year after year of waiting and waiting and waiting until Jesus was born at Christmas time, and, and the rest of us in the room that have put our faith and hope in Jesus, we're waiting for yet a second Advent, we might call it, the return of Jesus. And so, so many people then and now are in this, this waiting game. And as we begin our Advent uh, series this weekend that we're, we've entitled Just in Time, Just in time, and we'll look over over the next few weeks together at three things. We'll look at why Jesus came at just the right time. We'll discover why Jesus was just the right person to come for us at Christmas. And finally, we'll see how Jesus brought just the right message that the world needed to hear, that you and I needed to hear. And we're, we're going to camp out all three weeks at, in a core passage, and then we'll kind of explore the scriptures from there. And our, our core passage for this entire series comes from Galatians chapter 4, and I just want to read it for us, and then we'll think about specifically that very first phrase. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his spirit of a son into our hearts, prompting us all to call out, Abba, Father. And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, that that passage begins uh, with this phrase, but when the right time came. You know, timing is everything, isn't it? Timing is so, so critical. Timing, uh, the right timing, can make the difference between success and failure. There are even moments in our lives where the right timing can mean life or even death the right time. The the, the timing matters. Think about the difference that the right time makes. It it makes a difference whether you hit a perfect golf shot uh, down the center of the fairway or if you slice it into the woods. Some some of you are like, I'd just like to be able to get back out on the golf course, right? Uh, The right timing matters when it comes to your car engine, whether it's going to run smoothly or not. We just had to have our timing belt, serpentine belt, I guess, replaced on our minivan. Man, Not a cheap deal, but critical (laughs) for the engine to run properly. The right timing will make a difference if the Browns' offense or defense will be successful, right? It seems like our timing is off. (laughs) The right timing might be the difference of whether your crush will say yes or no to dinner. The right timing is everything. It'll make the difference of whether you make your connecting flight back Home or not? Uh, our daughter Lainey, I've told you that she's living down in Waco, Texas now, and uh, she she flew home for Thanksgiving, first trip back home after moving far, far south, and um, she made it home just fine. But let me tell you, getting back to Waco, Texas was a nightmare. I was on the phone with her from one thirty till. Uh, till 3 a.m. one night because she was stranded in Dallas. She's only an hour and a half away from her home in Waco, and yet she's new there, doesn't have a lot of connections, nobody to pick her up. I mean, it was just a nightmare. I had to take a taxi. I said, you keep me on the phone while you're in the taxi. <laughs> timing, timing is everything. And, and, and those those are just kind of normal life situations that, that we might face, but there's even more significant moments, right, where timing is everything like if i would have gone to the doctor if i would not have gone to the doctor when i did they could have misdiagnosed me or or if i hadn't gotten stopped by that train that car would have hit me head on or if if i wasn't in this particular place at this particular time i would have never met my spouse timing is everything and, and the text tells us, but when the right time came, at just the right time, Jesus came for us at Christmas. God sent his son. Have you ever wondered, like, well, so why was it just the right time? What made that time? I mean, the people had been waiting and waiting and waiting. It seemed like God was, well, it seemed like God was late. It seemed like God was asleep or missing because what we know, what we know during this, this time was there was this 400 years of silence. Uh, if, if you study theology or God's word, you, you discover that there's what's called the intertestamental period. It's kind of this period of 400 years between when the last prophet, the prophet of Malachi, spoke on behalf of God God. And when the New Testament begins with the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the story of Christ, and the birth of Christ, there's a period of 400 years where God was silent. People were like, where are you? These promises of a a Savior, a Redeemer, and we are here, and we are suffering but it says, when the right time came, God sent his son. So a little bit of history to help us understand. There there was a, this was a period of 400 years of war, 400 years of upheaval, 400 years of unfulfilled hopes that the people are waiting. In 538, uh, B.C., King Cyrus, he, he finally frees the Israelites from captivity. He sends them home uh, where they rebuild the temple, and 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 the, the hopes are coming back together. They're thinking, oh, we're rebuilding the temple. God will have a place to dwell with us. The Savior's going to come into the world. And then Alexander the Great comes into power and dominates the region, and his reign uh, brought about many Greek customs, some of which were good, some of which were pagan, Uh, most notably the Greek language. Now, this was actually a good thing. In fact, uh, the, the New Testament that you hold in your hands that's part of the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, was written in the Greek language. And it wasn't until that Greek language was created and was able to be written down that now God's Word could be written down and then shared with people during this time frame, the, the Roman world was being expanded and and a road system was being created. And and everybody was probably thinking, Man, but when is Jesus going to come? But the, the, the road system that was being created and then the language that became common amongst the people were now being developed so that when Jesus did come, the news of Jesus and the news of the gospel eventually and all that Jesus would do would be able to spread when just the right time came in 198 bc syria overthrows egypt and israel's is under the control of a leader who attempted to stamp out the jews altogether and so the jews are just crying out when is the savior going to come when is our rescuer going To come, they're in the waiting, they're in the silence, and the country was incredibly unstable. Israel starts to turn to mercenaries uh, and outside nations for support, and in doing so, they kind of get intermixed with pagan theology and ideologies and false gods, and and that infects the Jewish people, all while they're waiting. Waiting. In this period of silence, in the Roman Empire, it was growing in power. And when it finally decided uh, to go after Israel, there was little that they could do to stop them. And so there is just all of this going on. And in the midst of this, there's, there's two kind of groups of power that arise. Really two religious slash quasi-political groups uh, that rise. Uh, one group is the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are the legalists of the day. And they didn't make it any better, even though they were very religious. All they did was heap upon the people more and more and more rules and laws, so that the people were becoming so dilapidated in spirit and feeling like, "Man, we'll, we'll never be able to please God. We'll never be able to get to God like this." And they're longing. <laughs> For a Messiah and a Savior. And then there was the the Sadducees, and they were kind of the rationalists of the day, and they were mostly all concerned about power, wealth, and peace. And so they would just do anything to to keep Rome happy, and they would end up oppressing the poor, including the Jewish people of the day. The people were just waiting, (laughs) hurting. Longing. Warren Weir'sby puts it this way. He says, historians tell us that the Roman world was in great expectation, waiting for a deliverer. At the time Jesus was born, the old religions, they were dying. The old philosophies were empty and powerless to change men's lives. Strange new mystery religions were, being, were invading the empire. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were everywhere and God was preparing the world for the arrival of his son when just the right time came. See, even though God was silent, it didn't mean that God was not at work. He was at work behind the scenes, much like he was at work behind the scenes, right? In Job's life that we learned about last weekend, and so when, when, when you're in a period of waiting, when it seems like God is silent, know that God is still at work. And when the right time came, the silence was broken. And that, that historic, all well-known passage that we'll read again on Christmas Eve, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Remember, this is after 400 years of silence from heaven. And it says they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of of David at just the right time. Some of you have maybe heard this this saying, Uh, maybe you didn't know who the author was. I didn't even know who the original author of it was. Dylan Burroughs says, God is rarely early, never late, but always on time. His time. (laughs) That's that's the kicker, isn't it? (laughs) His time. I'm I'm trying to get to God God to do what I need him to do, right? Like, and right now. (laughs) And that's a great saying to have on a mug or on a plaque, you know, in your bedroom. But it's a whole other thing when you're in a season of silence from God or when you're in a season season of of waiting and longing. Those platitudes don't really help us, do they, in those moments, And there were people throughout the ages and and in the scriptures that they too were in that season of waiting, in that place of longing. And David, I mean, think about his words. He was so honest with God. We looked at some of this uh, in the last couple of weeks as well. And David says, wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and our oppression we collapse in dust, lying face down in the dirt. Rise up and help us, <laughs> right? Or I think about uh, Simeon in Luke 2.25. It says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was what? He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And some of you in the room, you are eagerly awaiting. You're eagerly awaiting a word from God. It, it's felt silent. It feel, there's been no emotion. There, there's been something that's, that's missing in your soul, that, that connection with Jesus that, you, that you, you've longed for and, and feels like has kind of faded, or, or you're in a season of waiting for answers for a health condition, or you're in a season of waiting for that special someone, or you're in a season of waiting for whatever it might be. And where is God? So what do we do? What do we do in the silence? What do we do in the waiting? And I want to just give us a couple suggestions. Number one, in the silence or in the waiting, what would happen if we, rather than speeding up and trying to take control of everything, what if instead we, we slowed down and just sought after God? I don't know about you but when 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 God's not moving in my time frame, I get antsy. I get anxious. I can even become kind of controlling. Like I just want to do more work harder, uh, you know, get everything organized, get everything lined up, get everything ready. Try to sometimes try to try to push my kind of will forward. And that doesn't work out too well, does it? <laughs> and we 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 might even get what we want in our timing but then we discover later that uh that what we thought our timing was and what we thought would be the right answer or the right thing maybe isn't all that we thought it was going to be because we didn't wait and, and in that waiting in in those waiting seasons and in those silent seasons that's a that's an incredibly important time to just and just to lean into God, to seek after God. God says, man, seek me and you will find me. God says, knock, 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 seek, ask. Just keep coming to me in the midst of the silence and in the midst of the waiting. There's something that can happen that develops perseverance in our character and in our faith when we're in the waiting. And, and we're all so busy anyway, And when we get in these seasons of waiting, maybe that's an opportunity (laughs) to just draw near to God. I think about the the prayers of David. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where where there is no water. In, In those moments and seasons of silence and waiting, when we're thirsting and longing, tell God. Just keep, keep going to Him again and again and again. Or Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. I love these verses, but they're so hard and difficult to live out. He says, I waited quietly before God. Man. <laughs> I wait ans- with, with anticipation. I wait... Uh, Kind of with, with, a, with, I don't know, like anxiety, with, with worry, with fret. Sometimes with anger or frustration. And yet the, the psalmist, David says, I wait quietly like this, this quiet, contented, peaceful waiting. He says, for, for, for this is what he knows. This is why David could go ahead and wait quietly. He said, for my victory, it comes from him. I've got to wait for God. He's the only only sure victor. (laughs) He says, he alone is my rock and my salvation. Like, he's he's the very foundation of it all, and so I've just got to wait on him because his timing is always right. He says, my fortress where I will never be shaken. If you want that kind of security, it only comes in waiting in confidence on God and God alone. So in the silence, in the silence, lean into God. Draw near to God, seek after God, and in the silence pursue a heart of worship toward God. In the waiting, worship him. Worship him with our life, worship him in our service, worship him with songs, worship him with prayer, worship him with praise when God isn't moving on our timeline and within our time frame, real faith says, "Well, I'll worship God anyway. I'll worship God anyway, even when He's not doing what I thought He was going to do, or in, in my timing, I'll worship God anyway." And it, the, the, the truth of the matter is, when, when God isn't moving, or when God isn't silent, or when God is silent, oftentimes our worship starts to shift. And, and just like the Israelite nation who, when they were in that long 400-year season of silence with God, they, they, they started to be drawn towards other gods, towards false gods, towards pagan idols. And they started to put hope and trust into other things. Why? Because God wasn't working within their time frame. And the same thing can happen in your life and in my life. When God's not moving the way that we thought he was going to move, we can can lean into other things that we think will help. In the silence, pursue a heart of worship. Keep him as the centerpiece of our lives. Uh, I love the way David puts it in Psalm 63. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking about you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. When you're in a season of waiting, maybe when you're in a season of silence, worship God anyway. Usually my phone is right on our nightstand next to the bed, which isn't always a good thing, but it's the alarm clock too, right? And there's times where in the midst of the the night I can't sleep, or I'm anxious, or I'm worried about whether it's our daughter down in Texas, or, you know, our daughter that's off at college, or, or our son Carter. And it's so good to in those moments, just to be able to pick up that phone and instead of checking Facebook <laughs> or Instagram, go straight to the Bible app and just let Scripture fill my heart and fill my mind again. It's what, it's what breathes hope in the midst of the silence. And it helps us remember <laughs> That's the last thing that we can do in the silence and in the waiting. It's to remember. Because when we get impatient and God's been quiet, or he hasn't answered in the way that we thought, it's important to remember because we become forgetful of all the ways in the past that God has shown up. Think about it right now in your own life. Just take a moment to pause and to think. Think about a time that God showed up just in time for you, for your family. I mean, maybe right now it's hard to think about that because you're in a season of silence or a season of waiting. That's why we need to remember. Just look back in your mind. When did God come through? Man, You, th- it seemed like he was late. You, you started to wonder, is, is there any hope? But he showed up. Maybe you were just in a desperate situation. You didn't even know Jesus. And, and you just, you know, it was one of those Hail Mary prayers on your knees in the, the dark. And man, God just met you there. And he came at just the right time in your life. Or or maybe, maybe it was, you know... And the bills were mounting up and they weren't given the the hours and the overtime that you were had grown dependent upon and and you know you had a new new child in the family and there was diaper expenses and man and and just out of the blue, an unexpected check or a bonus or and it's like, oh thank you, God. Just in time. It's important. To remember. Because it's, it's by remembering God's faithfulness in the past that it helps us have hope. It builds our trust when we're in a current season of silence or waiting to remember. And ultimately, ultimately, remember how much God loves you and how much He has done for us already through Jesus. That's what that's what communion really is all about. It's remembering. When you came in, hopefully you got a little communion cup. And if you did not, um, just raise a hand, motion down the aisle. And some of our team members would be glad to bring you the communion elements. Thanks for raising your hand. Thanks for joining us and being a part of this. And... Uh, we're going to peel back that first clear layer and you come to a little wafer. And Paul challenged the church to remember. And in uh 1st Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23, Paul says these words. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it in pieces. And he said, this is my body which is given for you and Jesus himself looked at his disciples as he would look to us in seasons of silence